with me this morning to the book of Luke and just put your finger there because I've got to get something out of me this morning. I've been sitting on this and you say, Pastor, I'm so excited you're going to start that new series. Well, you're going to have to come back in a couple weeks because I'm not starting that new series today. Because there is something that has been happening to me over the last two weeks, and I haven't been able to explain it until this last week. Because this morning, I stand before you not as the same person who preached last Sunday. I stand before you not, with the, not as the man with the same thoughts, emotions, or feelings, not the same desires or wants. This morning, I stand here as a man, as a believer who has been confronted by God. Just a couple of weeks ago in my series, I proposed a question. What will this house be known for? What will they say about us? How will we, how will we be remembered as we finish this life and cross God's finish line? Let me say this to you. Be careful what you ask. Be careful what you question with God because God will might give you the answer either you didn't see or you weren't ready to take yet. It was at that moment that God began to trouble my waters with restless nights and crazy dreams. He began to show me some things that I was missing, things that I should have seen but couldn't. I need you to understand that I had an encounter with God. And this will be very difficult for me today because there are moments where my Emotion catches up more than my spirit and tears begin to well in my eyes and I begin to be choked up because I will be honest with you. I have not had a moment like this in 20 years. I sat in a room and let God begin to speak to me in ways that I have heard his voice, but I haven't seen since the day he called me to do this thing when I was 19. I have been shaken at the core. But I need you to understand that by the time I'm done today, my prayer is that you be shaken by the, at the core. One of my greatest desires is, is for this church to grow. It is the desire for every pastor that the church that he leads would grow. Now, I need you to understand that that growth is not in numbers, in notoriety, or stature, but that that growth would be that the lost might be found, that we might be a church to win people, not to maintain people. That we might become a church that actually cares about the lost instead of just about ourselves and our attendance on Sundays. That's my desire. For years, I've called our church a non-denominational church based on that's what you say because it has no affiliation with denominations. Not Baptist, not Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, full gospel, Pentecostal, or anything else. So let me just say this to you real quick. You will not find a denomination in your Bible. They don't exist. We are called the church. There is a problem. There is a segregation in the community, in the culture today, where we have now separated God. We have divided God, not rightly divided his word. We have di uh, ungodly divided the church into segregation spaces based on desires. Listen, we should desire the fullness of God and nothing else. But I'm learning that this is what we say now when we have started to deny God to move in the church and through his church. We call ourselves non-denominational because it's easier to not claim anything and then push the Holy Spirit out and not allow God to move. And it become a feel good, a tickle, a pat on the butt, a good game as you walk out the door. 
I'm sorry. Now, I might be completely different than everybody else, but I will not sell out God to entertain you. I will not sell out the things that God has done in my life so that you feel comfortable. It is time that the church become the loud majority instead of the silent minority. It is time that we step up, that our voice is heard, that we are willing to do what he's called us to do instead of sitting in church services hearing another sermon. Just buckle your seatbelt because it's going to get... Every week I'm inundated. Every week of my life I get email after email after email after email from companies, from groups that say, this is how you're going to grow your church. This is how you become a stronger church. I hear all kinds of things like you have to have a better kids church. You have to have a better youth ministry. You have to have great worship. You have to have good lighting. You have to have good sound. You have to have good events. You have to have good stage. You have to have all these good things. I've read every one and I've even tried to implement most of those things because I think that maybe somebody might have their finger on the pulse of reaching more people. I've received emails on what kind of gifts to give newcomers. The proper follow-up procedures to make what they call your church being sticky or how to close the back door so no one leaves. These are all things that I receive every week. They say, this is how you do it. It all starts at the front door. It all starts on how you receive people. I even even got a book in my stuff called How to Make Your Kids Church Like Disney World. Because everybody thinks they've got the finger on the pulse of how to make church great today. No, let me help you with something. What we've done is we've written books and created processes to dumb down the move of God. So that everybody feels good about the world that they live in rather than letting God change who they are. We have made excuses long enough. And I'm going to say this to you, so don't take it personal. I am speaking to the body of Christ as a whole. But I'm going to start in this house. It is time. You stop telling me after church, I'm trying. You either do or you don't. For the word of God says to choose you this day whom you'll serve. It doesn't say think about it. It doesn't say labor over it. It doesn't say contemplate it. It doesn't say go and sit in your meditation closet and mull it over. It says choose. Right now, choose. Unfortunately... The church today has abandoned, has abandoned at its whole, at its core, its entire purpose. It has become a place of maintenance rather than deliverance. A place of convenience rather than holy conviction. A place of contemplation rather than demonstrations. And I'm here to tell you that that day is over. It might not be over for every other church in this city, but it will be for this one. Today, I need you to hear this. I need you to mark this down. I need you to write this date in your calendar. I need you to write it in your notepad. Write it on your Bible. Today is the day that everything changes in this place. Because I don't need another email, another quick way to see fleshly growth, or another creature comfort. I, we need Jesus. We need his power, his presence, his deliverance and salvation. We need signs, miracles, and wonders. We need his glory. We need a fresh touch of his anointing. We need everything that he is and back in the church now. I hear this every week. Pastor, I came to your church. Why? Because the church I'm at, I just don't feel anything anymore. Pastor, I went and visited a church with a family member the other day because they had some kind of event. And the Spirit of God, I didn't even feel him. It was just another church service. This is happening. It's common play in the church. It is entertainment at its best. It is hirelings that stand on platforms that were sitting in clubs on a Saturday night, drinking their head off, and yet standing on a platform with a hangover because they play good instruments. That is not worship. That's called a concert. 
I'll say it, and if you watch this later and you are a pastor that's that's doing that, stop it because you're causing the Spirit of God to be grieved. Pastor, why are you being so tight? Because I'm tired. See, here's the thing about it. You want to know? Oh, Jesus. I have very few pastors that I listen to, very few preachers that I'm willing to listen to. Because I'm going to tell you this, the conviction of the Holy Spirit does not dwell in the church anymore, and it dang sure is not dwelling in most pastors anymore. It is something that we've evicted because we are afraid of the Holy Spirit because it's weird. Baby, it's not weird. It's written from Genesis to Revelations. It is the fullness of the word. It is what spoke to the disciples and caused the word to be written, and we cannot cause it to leave. We've got to bring it back into the house. Enough. I can't even explain to you what I've been through this week. Every night I'm in bed tossing and turning. I'm restless. I feel like I'm birthing a brand new church. I feel like I did the day we started this thing. I feel like I just can't shut off. My wife's asking me, baby, what's wrong? I don't know. I can't seem to find rest. Last night I'm sitting in the building. I'm finishing writing because I, I, there's just been everything, every, every roadblock, sidetrack, distraction has come for me this week. I'm sitting in the building last night. This is will mess you up. I'm sitting in the building. I'm in the building by myself, sitting in my office, and this is what I hear in the hallway. Hey. For a man sitting in this building, I don't care how tough you think you are. It'll mess you up. Five minutes later, I hear it differently. Hey. I can pull up all the cameras around the building so I can see in in rooms and stuff, and, and I pull it up. There's nobody there. All of a sudden, my office is right on along the wall of the hallway, and no lie, three feet from my ear, I hear it again. Hey! Enough that I called Pastor Dylan. I said, come to the church. Because <laughs> we need to do a walk because somebody's in this place. We do the walkthrough. Nobody's here. I get in my car. I'm headed home. Call my wife because that's what I always do. Call my wife. Baby, I'm on my way home. She doesn't answer her phone, which is very abnormal for her. So then I call my kids. I call Hope. She doesn't answer. I call my son. He doesn't answer. Parents, walk with me for a second. I'm starting to live a little freak out. No one's answering. I decide to call my daughter's phone again, and her phone is off. Fear creeps in. Man, I start declaring, decreeing, prophesying, speaking in tongues, everything I can do while I'm driving home. I walk in the door, and as I'm walking the door, my wife calls me. She said, you called? (laughs) Yeah, like four times. I said, I'm home now. She walks over, and she goes, I didn't even see you called. Do you understand that the phone was right beside her, and it was not on silent? And she was not asleep. There has been struggle all week long to get to this moment. Because God has been doing something in me and the enemy is angry. He's frustrated. Can I I just say this to you real quick? When was the last time you ticked off the devil? Because here's what we've done now. We've made the devil our playmate. I was sitting in the office this morning, and, and, and Pastor Robert and Pastor Troy were sitting in there, and, and I said something to him. I said, I've been through hell this week, and then it hit me like a freight train. In order to deliver heaven, you got to go through hell. 
Let me prove it to you. What did Jesus go through? Jesus died on the cross, went to hell, came back, and delivered us. Some of y'all been going through hell and wonder why. Maybe because God's trying to get heaven through you so that you can deliver it to somebody else. And you keep complaining about your hell, but there's heaven on the other side of it. And I need you to understand that if you would just go through the hell, heaven will come and find you. In order for us to come back to where we have, where we've been, we have to get back to our roots. And I know that's uncomfortable for some of you because some of you are too young to know what our roots are. But some of you are seasoned enough to know what our roots were. Back to his commandments, back to his purpose in the earth. We must abandon the feel good and begin to feel God again. The key to having growth and a growing church in the house, in this house, is not everything else. It's in reaching everyone else. Hmm. See, it gets quiet when you say stuff like that because everybody wants to feel good in today's culture, which tells me that if you don't feel good, you haven't felt God yet. If you need to be touched, if you need to be cuddled, if you need to be caressed, if you need to become the cat and let God pet you, then you have not received God. You are still receiving yourself and you're calling it a sense of godliness. No wonder you're disappointed because when you feel God, you are satisfied. But when you need to feel good, you are constantly chasing satisfaction. I am not chasing satisfaction. I am not chasing you. I am not chasing your opinions. I am not chasing your wants. I'm not chasing whether you like me or not. I am chasing God, and I hope to God by the time we're done today, you will chase him with me. Time for us to get over our fears and our doubts. Stop hoarding the gospel and start declaring it. Your worries, stop hoarding and, and, and fearing and, and living in your doubts and your worries and know that Christ has delivered you so that you might lead them to the Redeemer. God did not save you to go to church, to fill a role, or to be a church staff member. He saved you that you might save others. But let me give you a side note real quick. Stop trying to save the people that are already in the church. We have this condition in the church that if we pray, if we lead the one that sits next to us and we've done our job, uh-uh. that, that, that's, called, that's called convenience. The gospel was written to make you uncomfortable. And I need you to understand that. The gospel was written to shift you out of your own mindset and get you into his mindset. The gospels were written so that you might become more like Christ, not more like yourself. And the problem in the church day is we're more like ourselves, not more like Christ. And it's time that we shift that. Listen, God does not give you a word so that you can eat it, chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it, and do it all over again. Because that's what we do. We take a word in, we chew it. Well, we swallow it before it's chewed up. Because in chewing up food, you break down all the nutrients and it becomes more vital to your system. But if you swallow it too fast, it doesn't break down enough for it to give you any benefit. So we swallow it whole. Then we, we, we let it sit for a minute. It makes us uncomfortable. We regurgitate it. And then we go slop it back up. The Bible says that the dog returns to its vomit. We're looking for the days of old. We're looking for the last year's word. We're looking for that word. Tell me that word again. Tell me that. Listen, let me, can I? Can I? It is time that you get rid of your mildew dried up sponge. And that you become absorbent to the things of God again. So that God can deposit something greater in you. So that when you walk out of this building each and every week, you are slopping wet. And you leave a residue. You leave drops of water wherever you go. It's like somebody needs to see what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just talk about it. Yeah. 
So in other words, there's a condition in the church that I'd like to call believers bulimia. Put it in, get it out. Put it in, get it out. And for those of you that might be in this room that might have that condition, I'm not making light of it or making a joke of what you're going through. But I can tell you one thing. I serve a God that can deliver you from it. I serve a God that says you don't have to live another day with that stuff, but you're going to have to choose who's going to live inside of you, your illness or him. Because if we serve the God that's written in this Bible, those who wanted a touch from God received a touch from God. Those who wanted to be delivered were delivered. Those who talked about deliverance didn't get deliverance. It is time that we stop talking about what God did and start living what God's doing. He has not changed. He has not shifted. He has not walked away. He has not crawled into bed and gone to sleep. He is waiting for the church to wake up. We've been saying it for years. We're in the last days. Does it mean anything to you yet? Has it shifted you yet? Has it caused a desire for you to change it? Or are you just going, well, I was waiting for the trumpet. You're going to miss the trumpet because you're going to not wake up to the alarm. We must step out of the closet and stop being the silent minority. This is not a cult. I heard somebody says, I think your church is a cult. No, you just don't want to receive Christ. That's your problem. You'd rather stay in bondage rather than be freed. This is not a cult. This is not a fading religion. We serve the creator of the heavens and the earth, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. So I need to know this morning, are you ready to know what we're going to be known for as the house? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready. ready. Well, good. Then let me read the scripture. All that, we haven't gotten in the scripture yet. Get ready. Luke chapter 15, you got your Bibles turned there. Don't depend on the screen. Let the word become your sword, not my screens. You can't get to the screen on a Monday. Get your Bibles out. Luke chapter 15. I don't know if I'll get through all this today. If not, you'll have to come back next week and get part two. Amen. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 7. I'm going to read it to you. Then we're going to go back and break it down. It says this, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. We're talking about Jesus here. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Watch this. If you've ever underlined anything in your Bible, underline this verse. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. I want to get to that last part, but I can't yet. So just bear with me. Go back with me to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Because now I need to break it down for you because you need to get the meat out of this. You're going to choose some scripture this morning. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Why is it that the ones that need him the most were sitting there listening, and the ones who claimed to know God the best were complaining? There is a noise in the culture that says we need God. 
and the church is sitting in the synagogue complaining because it takes up too much time to go get them. We claim to know God, we claim to know the heart of God, but yet we refuse to let our heart beat for those who have not found the rhythm of God's heartbeat yet. And yet we call ourselves believers, we call ourselves Christians, we call ourselves church members, we call, no, you know what we are? We're socialites. We socially engage with each other while faking it because we don't want to do the do. Let me help you with something. The church as a whole will never grow until we go back to the core. And that is once God has moved in your life, it is so that you might bring him to others. This is a condition with not only the church, but even with the culture. The church is not saying he is the way, the truth, and the life. We're not saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We are saying things like this. There are more than one ways to God now. No, no, there are predominant preachers that sit on television shows with great reporters and look them in the face and go, nah, there's other ways to God. It's not just Jesus. And yet we, because they look cool on TV and because they say what's comfortable to our flesh, we honor them, we support them, and we lift them up. God, I can tell you what's coming, but it would freak you out. Every big person that you see that is not declaring the word of God and has not made souls a part of their core purpose is not going to withstand what is to come. Because there are people in the world that are looking for a church that will declare the power of God and let God change them, not your service. It's about to come. There is a harvest that is about to happen and most churches won't even see it. They say that 10 churches, 10 to 20 churches close every week. You wonder why? Because the feel good will not keep us. We're saying things like there's more than one way to God. It's okay if you sin. God understands. Read your word. It doesn't say that. God says that sin is the gateway to hell. It separates you from God. But we won't declare that from the pulpit anymore because it's an inconvenient truth. It's uncomfortable to tell people that sin is a real place. You want to know why it's uncomfortable? Because hell is no longer a real place. God grieves over the sinner. He grieves over the lost. And the Bible says that heaven rejoices when one repents. The man, it goes on and says, the man, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Aren't you glad that God received and ate with you? But the reason that he sat down with you and ate with you and received you is so that you could get over you. And then go and receive others so that they might eat with him too. The problem in the church is that we show up to the restaurant and we say table for two. What if you went to the church, what if you went to a restaurant, went to BJ's or one of the restaurants around, this, around the city this week and went after church and walked up there and when you get to the thing by yourself, say, I need a table for 15. Well, where's your 15? I don't know, but we're going to go get them. What would what, what happen? No, because all we're trying to do is feed ourselves. 
keep God to ourselves. No, this is a table for two. No, that's not how God moves. God says, I move in you, and it is enough. It will satisfy you. And now that you are satisfied, go and bring them to me so that they might be satisfied. And this is what I'm trying to help you see. We are so content with just going to church. This is a table that is set every week, a place where people can dine, a place where people can be fed, a place where people can be delivered and set free. Yet we are not bringing them to the house. We are not bringing them to the table because we just want to be me and Jesus. Because why, why do I have to care about anybody else? Why do I have to be worried with anybody else? Why do I have to do it for anybody else? You're about to find out. It goes on in verse 3. It says this. It says, so he spoke. So he spoke. God, has hit me so hard when I read this. So he spoke. It says, so he spoke this parable to them saying, but, but it says he spoke. Because we can't be silent. If he spoke, then so should we. Can I just say this to you? This is going to be unpopular teaching for you. People are going to hell. Mm. Let me sit down for a second. Pastor, I can't see. You don't need to see me. People are going to hell. And this is the sad part. We're quiet about it. Oh, you know, people are going to hell. People are going to hell. You want to know why? Because hell's, hell's not a problem anymore. As long as you don't go, you're okay. But why is it that we don't care whether other people go there? Because truth be told, hell is a vacation spot. Just a little hot. We're not concerned with the souls of people. We're concerned with our own self-gratification. This is what culture teaches us. Satisfy yourself and the rest will be okay. Why is it we don't care anymore? Somebody cared about you enough to not give up on you, to keep telling you, listen, if you'll give your life to God, it'll change you forever. And they stayed with you until you got into a place where you received God and you were delivered of your sin and you were now walking with him. Why is it it was good enough for you, but it is not good enough for us to walk out of the church and go do it with others? Why? Well, that's the pastor's job. Show me in the Bible one time it says it's my job. I have looked, I have studied, I have dug, and I cannot find it. Look at your neighbor. No, just look at me. Just say the word hell. hell. Uh-huh, that was 12 of y'all. Try it again. Say the word hell. You don't have to yell it. Just say it. Say the word hell. hell. See, until you start to realize that that is a place and it is a problem, we can't step beyond that place. And if hell doesn't bother you, and the fact that people are going to hell doesn't bother you, then you've probably already bought your one-way ticket. Because if it doesn't bother you that friends, family members, people you don't even know are dying and going to hell, and it is your responsibility to deliver Christ to them so that they might receive, then we are not heading in the right direction. Say hell again. It must become a reality, not a vacation spot. I know, I know this isn't popular teaching. You were only home. I was going to play stones today. But I'll tell you what God told me. You don't have to receive it. You don't have to like it. But God says, if I don't change the direction of this church, I won't be the pastor of this church much longer. I have never in 19... I have never in my lifetime 
had such an emphatic word from God that my life depended on it. I sat in Chick-fil-A on Friday morning. My kids, I take them to breakfast every morning on Fridays. Spend time with them before they go to school. It's our little thing. We've been doing it since they started kindergarten. I went to Chick-fil-A and I ordered my food and they got their food and they forgot to ring up my two chocolate milks for my kids. And I didn't, I didn't make a face. I didn't say anything. But the lady, the manager, walked up and she said, she said, it's okay. We make mistakes. And I went and sat down at the table. And as I'm sitting there, God says, go apologize. And immediately I said, God, I didn't do anything. What did I do? Why do I have to go apologize? It's not for you. It's for them. Because fear crept up to the register and said, it's okay. We make mistakes. Out of fear of what my response might be because they forgot chocolate milks. So I walked up to the register. I looked at my kids. I said, hold on, stay here. Dad, what are you doing? Just hang loose for a minute. I walked up to the register. I leaned across the counter. I said, ma'am, come here. And I looked at the young lady that was just starting her first day. And I said, ma'am, come here. I said, look at me for a second. If I did anything, if I made a face, if I looked like I was frustrated, please, I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to do that. She looked at me, she said, sir, you didn't do anything. I said, good, because I can't have you go through your day thinking someone's mad at you over chocolate milk. And you laugh about it, but that is the pain of the culture today. We don't care about people. We care about our chocolate milks. And we are not willing to get over our egos enough to say, wait a minute, your life matters to me. You are not justified in your anger. It is a place where you choose to build houses rather than break it, the pain off of your life. God is in heaven looking at people. He's not looking at your house. He's not looking at your cars. Listen to me. If you think that a blessed life is having a big house and fancy cars, in 20 years your car is going to be for sale on somebody else's lot. And you will probably have moved out of that house because most people in America move at least 11 times in the course of their lifetime. You want to know why they move 11 times? Because we are not satisfied. But when you have God, you are satisfied. He said, he spoke. I need you to start speaking something. At some point of this walk, I need you to say something. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say something. At some point, the church has got to start saying something. We got to stop having events and programs and start declaring the word of God and start seeing souls saved. We got to start seeing redemption and salvation, healings manifest. The glory of God fill his temple again. Don't look at me like a calf looking at a new gate right now. We've never heard this before, liar. You've heard it. You just ignored it. Go on to verse 4 for me. I'm trying. Verse 4 says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Let me clear something up for you real quick. I have searched through 12 different translations of Scripture. That word man is not translated into any other word than man. For some reason in the church, we have deemed that the responsibility of the shepherd. It does not say the shepherd. It does not say the reverend. It does not say the pastor, the bishop, or any other title you want to give me. It says what man, who, what person in the room, what person having heard this gospel, what person having knowing the love of God, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Can I tell you something? The reason we will not go find the lost anymore is because we are lost ourselves. 
And lost people don't find lost people. They just keep finding themselves over and over and over and over and over. They keep walking around the mountain over and over and over and over. Oh, look, a new thing. No, it was the same thing that was last week. Over and over and over and over. You keep trying to get fed again and fed again and fed again and fed again. We're not doing anything new. You know what would make the church really attractive again? If we would embrace the scripture that God is doing a new thing. I don't care where you grew up. I don't care who taught you. I don't care what ministry you sat under. I don't care how great your former pastor was. You're in this house now. Embrace what God's doing in this house now. I don't care what you think you know, what you thought you know. I don't care what flannel graph you saw growing up that you were four years old. I don't care about none of it. Half the stuff you learned was jacked up anyway. We want to preach the anger of God. We want to preach the, the judgment of God. And there is a judgment of God. There is very truth. There's a judgment seat of the Father. But God does not want to have to sit in that seat. But unfortunately, the church is forcing God to sit in that seat because we won't be in his hands and his feet. Because he spoke. And he says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? It says, what man? What man? It doesn't say the pastor. It says, what man? What man? What woman? What person? There is one in your existence that is lost right now. And it is your responsibility to go after them until you find them. Ah, wow. Pastor, I know exactly where they are, but you haven't found them yet. Because finding them helps them to see that they're lost. You'll work with me for just a second. Just because you know where they are doesn't mean you found them. Can, can I tell you what the church does? This is what the church does as a whole. Pastor, I found him. He's over there. Tag your it. Pastor, I found him. He's, he's in another city. Go get him. Pastor, I see him. Yeah, we're playing hide and go seek with the lost. You peek around the corner. I see you. I see you. And here's the problem. We're better at calling out where they're stuck rather than bringing them out of their stuck place. We're better at calling it out. We're better at identifying because you don't want to get in that space. And I'm going to tell you why we don't want to get in the space. Because we're still trying to get out of our spaces. Because we haven't let God deliver us yet. We haven't let God set us free yet. We haven't stepped into that place where we completely abandon everything else and just grab a hold of who he is. What man of you? Who in this room? Who will go after the one? God's not calling you to find the 99. He's calling you to find the one. Just one. Just one. A week ago, I started this with my kids every morning. Judah can attest to this. I get in the car. Get the one. Don't I? I tell them, pick one kid. Pick one kid you're going to love on today. Pick one kid you're going to put in your eyesights all day just to be a blessing to. Pick one kid you might even step up to the plate and pray for today. Pick one. I don't need you to win your classroom. I need you to win one. 
Because if we can just win one, then that one will win another one. Then that one will win another one. And then you're going to go win and win another one. And then you're going to win. Because let me tell you something. The moment you win one, it becomes addicting to your, to your spirit, man. You want to go win more. Because you don't want hell to win. You want heaven to win. You don't want people to go to hell. You're, you, listen, have you ever, have you been into a school lately? Have you talked to some of these children? They're abused at home. They're manipulated at home. They're abandoned at home. They're rejected at home. They're, they're given off social media. Or not social media, but they're given off cell phones and video games. Go away. Go away. Go away. They become the babysitter. Parents don't spend time with their kids anymore. They dismiss them to a corner, and then they wonder why their kids are broken. They wonder why their kids are crying out. It is not the child's fault. It is the parent's fault because we do not even try to win our own homes anymore. The Scripture says, as for me and my house, we will go to church. Mm -mm. We will quasi live for God. We'll pray when we need something. No, in all things, through prayer and supplication. In all things, through prayer and supplication. In all things, through prayer. In all things, in every moment, in every situation, I will acknowledge God and let him become the forefront of my existence. I will make him the priest and king of my home. I won't let other people's belongings become my God's. He didn't say find the 99. He said find the one. Who will be your one today? Goes on in verse 5 and 6. It says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. Once we find it, we don't need to vocally mark it. We need to pick it up. Pastor, I don't want to carry anybody. Somebody carried you. Why can't you carry? I tell people all the time. Uh, if you save my life, then I owe you what? My life. Nobody wants to give. Everybody just wants to take the blessing now. But nobody wants to reciprocate it. Nobody wants to demonstrate it. Nobody wants to duplicate it. Everybody just wants to receive it. And he says, when you found it, then you got to pick them up, and then you got to be carriers. You don't just get to find them. You now have to carry them. But he says, carry them where? He says in there, it says, he, and when he comes home. But can, I just, can I just say this? When someone is sick, you bring them where? the hospital here's why we're not bringing people to churches anymore is because churches are no longer hospitals they're comfort zones they're not a place where lives are changed they're a place where lives are told it's okay you'll get there one day they're not their church is a triage center for the broken and it's also a celebration center for the one that brought the lost you wonder why we're not satisfied in the church anymore in our celebration why it doesn't stick with us? Because the only thing that we're celebrating is an emotional moment for two hours each Sunday. An emotional feel good. An emotional moment where the, the worship felt good and I felt the presence of God. That was great. I'm, I've got to go back next week so I can feel again. Sundays are not reserved for you to feel good. Sundays are reserved for you to celebrate the greatness of God and the fact that you as a vessel and a carrier of the Holy Spirit walked out of this place and went and told and shared and displayed and poured out. And then you come back in, celebrate and get filled again so that you might go again. It says they found him. He lays him on his shoulder rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. When was the last time you rejoiced? Hmm. It says you'll rejoice 
He says he brings them home. And in verse 6, he says, he says right there, he says, he says that when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I have found my sheep. Pastor, it's not my sheep, it's God's sheep. No, no, no. That's your brother. That's your sister. I know you might not know him yet, but that's your sheep. But pastor, we're not related. You don't have to be related. The blood of Christ runs through him the same way it runs through you. The blood of Christ runs through her the way it runs through you. They are your family. You might as well receive them and rejoice over them. It is time for the people of God to take responsibility for the lost. If I lose Judah and I find him, I have found my son. It might not be your blood, but that person is of the same blood. Here's the truth of it. I understand that there are situations in families where family members run away from God and they lose their way and it is our responsibility to go get them. But can I just say this? Don't get so trapped in one that you forget that one. Because here's my truth. I can't save Judah. I can only tell him who the Savior is. Judah has to receive his hand and let him pull him up. I cannot lift him up. I have to let Christ be the one that changes him. I have to let God be the one who, who moves him and shifts him. Let me tell you something. There is this thing in the church called church hopping. This has been talked about for years amongst pastors. We've got a bunch of church hoppers in the church. And I realize that it is the problem with the pastor, not the problem with the sheep. <laughs> because I haven't given you a reason to stay yet. You know when a restaurant's really good, you'll keep eating at that restaurant. You don't care if they don't ever change the menu. You're probably going to go in that restaurant and order the same thing every time because that one item on that restaurant menu is good food. You'll keep going back time after time after time after time after time. I'm a creature of habit. I keep eating the same thing. Every time I go to a restaurant, I order the same thing. I swear I am. And there are certain restaurants I like and there are certain restaurants I don't care to go eat at. But I keep going back. Here's the problem. The church is not giving you what changes you now. The church is giving you watered-down, lukewarm Christianity instead of creating a believer in you that is changed by the movement of God, changed by the power of God. Because once you've been changed by the power of God, you never want to go back to who you were. You, were, you find a good thing, you stay in that bad boy. So now I'm realizing, and I'm going to tell you where I've been sitting all week. God says, Brian, stop blaming everybody else. Now I need you to deal with you. Because I need you to lead this church into a place that most churches won't go. I need you to lead this place where the Holy Spirit dwells, where signs, miracles, and wonders happen, where my word becomes evident in the local church again, not something that we talk about of yesteryear. There is no Azusa Street revival. There's a Slidell revival. But let me help you with something before you aiming me down and shout me out. Where are you at? Because sitting in church is not doing it anymore. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you desire more of God or just the church experience? Because I'm going to say something to you that's going to be really deep. If all you want is church, then depart from him, you worker of iniquity. Because the people in the Bible did the same thing. Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not worshipped you? Have we not sung the songs? Have we not attended the local service? Have we not done all things? Yes, but I don't know you. I haven't seen you. You do not commune with me, and I am not allowed to commune with you. You just are. That's 
the danger of the church today. We just are. I'm almost done, I promise. You mad at me yet? Please don't be. Because I have fought with this one all week. 15 verse 7. says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. But over the 99 persons or just persons who need no repentance. I read that scripture on Monday morning. I sat in Starbucks on gauze and I tend and bawled my eyeballs out covered my eyes because I didn't want anybody to see that I was just broken. Because as soon as I read that scripture, I heard God say to me this, this question. When was the last time you made heaven rejoice? And I realized I have been chasing me rejoicing. I want to rejoice for God is good. I want to be a rejoicer, and it's not what it says. It says heaven will not rejoice until the one. Watch. This is how I saw it. This is how it was delivered to me. God will not rejoice over this gathering. And we feel like he is. Because we have, be we have been desensitized to feel good. Rather than make heaven rejoice. We have made the Sunday service about us. Rather than them. We don't pray deliverance with people anymore. We pray haphazard, limp-wristed, sissy-fied, mamby-pamby, no-power prayers because it makes our flesh feel good. People attend church because it's what we do as Christians. Believers don't attend church. They are the church. There is a shifting that is happening and if we are not careful, we are going to miss the move of God and wonder where he's gone. Because we just refuse to step up and step out. We just want to exist in the church. I just want to do me, Pastor. I just want to do my life. I want to do what I want when I want to, and I don't care what God thinks. Let me help you with the problem with that statement. You are nullifying his rescuing of your spirit. You think, and you can't find it. I guarantee you, if you can, let me know. But you will not find in scripture. The Bible says that if you keep going back to who you once were, that he'll keep hanging out with you. But the Bible declares that if you keep going back to your sin, he'll remove his hand of anointing from you. But we don't talk about it in the church. No, no, Jesus loves Talk about Jesus loves all the time. Jesus loves. What about salvation? 
People come to me, Pastor, I prayed for so-and-so. Did you lead them to Jesus? No, no, I just prayed for their sickness. Did you ask them if they know God? Because let me help with something. If they have no knowledge of God, if they haven't received Christ, your prayer means nothing. Because what, 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 what vessel are they receiving that into? You haven't, you got to fix the vessel before you fix the problem. You got to, look, 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 it's very simple. Hey, can I pray with you? Yeah, you can pray with me. But before I pray for you, can we do something? Do you know Jesus? Have you accepted him yet? Well, no, I, well, I think that's weird. Well, then I, I can't pray. So you want me to pray? Who you want me to pray to? Who, who do you need me to pray to? Because if I'm going to pray to Jesus, you got to know him first. So I might as well get you to know him first. So let's get to know him. Can you say this prayer after me, dear? Dear God, and it's not, it's, guys, it's not this hard. Can, can you say this prayer with me? Repeat after me. Lead them through it. Now, now that you've received them, but now let's pray. You want to see signs, miracles, and wonders that get in the earth? You want to see God do and be who he said he would be? Then we got to start winning people to the kingdom. we got to start filling heaven, not populating hell. we got to make them a priority to get them to God so that God can deliver them. Stop praying your prayers. In hopes that God will redeem them. you got to get redemption in first, salvation in first, and then they're ready to receive the healing. Like, oh, I prayed for so Great. I gave that guy 10 bucks. Did you pray with him? Because Peter and James said, silver and gold have I not, but what I do have. Rise and walk. I found I said this to Dylan yesterday. I was doing yesterday. I think it was Noah's pastor Troy. Love is the currency of heaven. I just sat in that series for the last week, Love Is, and I talked about what love needs to be. The problem is in the culture days, we don't love anybody, we love ourselves. That's what we've done. We've become the second Timothy chapter three. That's what we've become. We don't love anybody, we don't care about people, we don't we care about what's in our space, in our in our local box, in our roundabout hole. We only care about those, and everybody else can go to hell. Literally. I am not that great to deem somebody to hell. I would rather die myself than see someone else go to hell. I don't care about everything else. I care about this one thing. That I would love the Lord God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. love him with everything I've got, with all of my being, with everything I say, with everything I do. And because of that, I choose to live for him. Not when it's convenient, but every day of my life, according to the word, not according to my opinions and feelings and emotions, but according to the scripture. And not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, from Genesis to Revelations, because if God is the word, he is the entire word, not just the New Testament. I choose to live for him. My love for him causes me to live for him. If you have a struggle with living for him, then you have a struggle with loving him. And it's probably because you haven't received the fullness of the love of God. You've received the emotional feeling of the love of God. And now you need to let God come in and clean house so that you can begin to live for him. You will never sin again if you start to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then it says, after that, it says to love thy neighbor as thyself. The reason we can't love the neighbor is because we can't love us. And the reason we can't love us is because the love of God hasn't come and cleansed us. Heaven rejoices over the one. It doesn't rejoice over the 99. It doesn't rejoice over the gathering of the church. It doesn't rejoice over the maintenance of the believer. It doesn't rejoice over the same old folks sitting in the same old seats every week. It rejoices when you can't find your seat because the lost are coming. 
It rejoices when you are inconvenienced out of your comfort zone long enough because people are dying and going to hell. Listen, this is not popular preaching. You want to hear how great God's going to be in the place that you are. God will be great in the place that you are when you start being great with God. Not sitting in church services. And I know this is going to make people upset. This is going to make people not want to be my friend. This is going to be people going to be like, it's too much. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't convenient. I'm sorry, but I was not created to be your buddy. I was created to be a pastor. I was created to declare the word of God. And the word of God is uncomfortable at moments. It is soothing at moments. It is healing at moments. And it is breaking down barriers too. All you ever got was a pat on the butt and a good job. You'd never do anything better than where you are right now. At the end of the day, I can't answer to you. Because I've tried. It doesn't work. Can I just be honest with you? I've tried to make you happy. I can't. I've tried to be the good pastor. I've tried to be the nice one. I've tried to be the one who just gives away everything and does everything. I can't. Somebody came to me one week and said, Pastor, how's, what, what do you do for benevolence? I need some help. I can't help you. I can give you Jesus. Money doesn't fix your problems. Jesus will. I can't change you. I can, I can sit on the corner and pray for you all day long, but if I don't get Jesus in you, nothing changes. You want to know why people church hop? Because they haven't changed yet. So now I'm all about change. I'm all about the one. If I'm going to do it with my kids, I'm going to do it myself. My responsibility, according to the word, is to study the word, to bring a word to you so that you can go do. But God has done something even deeper in me. They will never do what you want. So go. Find the one. Every day of your life, find that one. And offer me to them. Bring me as a sacrifice. Lay me at the altar. And let them take. And trust that I am as much their God as I am yours. This is not comfortable to preach like this. This is not easy because I know what I'm doing. I'm separating the wheat from the chaff. I told God, I said, God, why do I have to preach this? Why do you make me say the uncomfortable stuff? Because thine is the kingdom. And the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. is release. Dad, I did exactly what you told me to do. At the detriment of losing, 
at my own fleshly fear of separating this church. Dad, I said yes. I don't want to poop it. I want to make heaven rejoice. And I'll lose it all. I'll lose it all to gain you. I'll give up every want, every desire, every dream. God, I'll give it all away. I'll give up my life so that one might hear and receive. I have asked you for years to come down and touch me. But God, these few weeks you've told me to come up and touch you. I just want to do whatever you want me to do. I want my children to say, my daddy never quit doing what God said. I want my wife to know, God, that I am a man after you first and foremost. And once my house is in order, God, I want this house to be a place that you can dwell. I feel like the young man at 19 when I sat in a sanctuary of 2,000 people and you told me to go lay at the altar. And I argued with you and I said, they're all going to make fun of me. They don't know what I'm doing. God says, be obedient. And I laid at that altar, and when I got up from the altar, there were 500 people laying face down on the floor, waiting on you because you just wanted me to say yes. God, thank you for reminding me this week that at 19 I said yes. God's touching you right now. I can feel it. He's moving through the room. Not what will I say next. What will he do in you next? Are you the same person today that he was when he saved you? Because if you're exactly the same, then you haven't chosen to grow in him yet. has to hurry up and end service. Hurry up, get done, get done, get done. Are you kidding me? Nope. God, do whatever you want to do in this moment. I don't care. Until you restore our hearts, until we allow you in enough that the lost become a part of our existence. 
shake this church to the core. Shake its foundations. Has that one hit you yet? You know who they are? Question for you is when are you bringing them home? But pastor, they keep telling me no, it's because you haven't compelled them yet. Your life hasn't given them a reason yet. People follow what they see, not what they hear. I am not a church attender. I am not a pastor. I am not a shepherd. I'm a soul winner. And that is all I will ever be. I throw down every title. I just want heaven to rejoice. I want to be the biggest party starter in heaven that it's ever seen. I want to daily make heaven flip its lid because someone's coming home. This is not popular preaching, but in this house it will be. I'm telling you what's coming. I can tell you, Jesus, I can tell you because I've seen it. God's shown it to me. I can't, I can't say it all yet. Can I, can I do two more things before you go home while you're standing, while you're sitting, wherever you are, you're on your knees, stay on your knees, I don't care. But you need to hear this twofold. Miss Mary, come here real quick because I need you. Turn on my mic. She's going to share something with you in just a moment. I told her I'd stand with her while she did it, but I'm going to read a prophecy that was given. And whether you like it or not, I don't care because I believe God speaks to people. Come here, you get to, you get to experience what I get to experience every week. Kenneth Copeland, who I believe hears from God, and people go, oh, he's a, he's a prosperity preacher, he's a blankety-blank, whatever. Don't, don't, don't do that. He says this in part two of his prophetic declaration for 2019. The title is, Take Me to the Center. He says, I'll do signs and wonders. I'll do these marvelous works, saith the Lord. If you'll take me to the center, if you'll take me to the streets, give me an opportunity to reveal myself. You keep ringing the dinner bell of healing and I'll draw the people. This building and other church buildings won't hold the people, but you can't just sit here inside this place and beg for miracles. I'm going to require you, saith the Lord, to walk by faith. So last week when I finished my love series, Miss Mary came and she goes, I gotta share with you a dream. And you don't realize this, but God speaks to Miss Mary through dreams. She's done this twice to me already, and every time she brings something to me, it is so dead on, it's not even funny. And I'm so honored because God's using her as a vessel to speak to me and my wife. And she doesn't know it because I've never really said it to her, but the moments that she's come and spoken to us, she has no idea what we were going through. So she came up to me after service, not knowing what I was going to declare, not knowing some of the stuff that I was going into. And she kind of led me into this space. I think I really believe by what she spoke to me last Sunday it prepared me for what God needed to speak to me this week. 
But I told her, I said, Miss Mary, will you please share this with the church? She goes, oh, Pastor, oh, Pastor. I says, all right, I'll do it with you. Because I need you to hear, this is not my word. God's speaking to the hearts of other people for this house as to where we'll go and what we'll do. You want me to hold it or do you want to hold it? I'll hold it. Okay, I got you. Make sure she's good up and loud. But I'll pass out. I'll hold you. I got you. I got you. It was um, Tuesday, February 19th, and I went to bed, and God gave me a dream. And the dream was that I was standing in the garage with pastors, Brian and Tiffany, and their kids, and my daughter-in-law and her kids. And there was a, a box, and it was like a box that um, a washing machine or a dishwasher would come in. It was filled with fish. And I looked in, and I could see the different types of fish. I was raised on the water, so anyway, um, Pastor said, we've got to get this, these fish into the car because we have to get them to church. So we tried to get them into my car and Pastor Tiffany's car and my daughter-in-law's car. And finally, we got the fish into his car. And he said, we've got to get them to church. And I said, we have to hurry because we're going to miss praise and worship if we don't hurry. <laughs> and um, the dream ended right there. And I woke up and I thought, this is weird. Um, so I was not in a good mood because it was early in the morning at that point, about 3 o'clock, February 20th, and it was my birthday. And I said, you know, Lord, I have to get up at 8 and go to the cardiologist and get this heart monitor, and it's not a good day. The weather's atrocious. And, and um, I said, I'd like to go back to sleep. Well, every time I went back to try, I saw fish. And um, so I, I went about my day, and then Friday... February 22nd, I was awakened at 3 a.m., and um, he said, would you like for me to interpret this dream? I said, well, I guess so, and the fish are people, and I heard very emphatically, my house will be known as fishers of men, and he said, you, and he doesn't just mean Marianne, he means everybody that occupies a chair in this house will be known as fishers of men. And he said, do you know why it was so important for you all to get back for praise and worship, get back in time? And I said, no. And he said, because I inhabit the praises of my people. And that's not it. I had something Monday morning. Um, I woke up. He woke me up and he said, um, you know, you don't have to go into Walmart wearing a life preserver. <laughs> Amen. And I was taken into something I had never experienced in my 66 years on this earth. Um, I was taken into what I perceived was an open vision. And uh, I was taken like over hospitals junior high schools, mm -hmm. high schools, prisons, and nursing homes. Yeah. And he said to me, especially over the nursing home, he said, these people are on their last journey before they pass on. And, and their destiny is in our hands, really. We could be the, the people who minister Jesus to them right before they go home, right before they pass on. 
and I'd like to share how terribly I blew it that day when I took my two grandsons out to lunch. And one's 23, one's 18. And they, they've lived their hell on earth with their mom. Um, you know, and they're agnostic. One doesn't, one's an atheist. And we were sitting in burger grind and we were just eating and having a good time. And we looked up and there were these two guys standing by our table. And um, they scared me. I knew they were on something, okay? I mean, they were, they were on drugs. And um, Caleb recognized them. And he said, uh, hey, man, he says, uh, I haven't seen you in forever. He says, what are you doing? And I said, oh, we're painting, dude. And, um, and they just stood there and they stared. And he's, Caleb said, do you want something? He said, yeah, man, I want your fries. And I've never seen anything like this. He dug his hand. Caleb says, well, here's here. Dug his hand and Caleb's fries and shoved them in his mouth. And I'm trying to slip down onto the floor under the table because I was terrified. I've never experienced anything like this before. And Caleb said, is there anything else you need, man? He says, no. And they walked back to the table. So after I dropped him off, I said, Lord, that was weird too. And the Lord said, yeah, but they were hungry. Mm-hmm. And your grandson, who you say is agnostic and don't, he doesn't know me. He showed him the love that you were too afraid to show him. So, everybody that's sitting in a chair here in this building, we all have gifts. We all have talents. Don't keep them to yourself. Share them, please. Everybody stand to your feet time, but that's going to happen when God does what he wants to do. Can I just share this with you real quick? I, When Miss Mary gave me that word on Sunday, I got home, I took a nap, got back up, and God says, get ready, because there was a reason that the fish could only fit in your car. And he said, because what I'm about to give you, you're the only one that can carry I knew this week was going to be rough. But then he told me, now I have to deliver it to you. You have a choice when you walk out of this place. Was it just a good church day? Or will you step up to the plate and go reach the one? 